Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. Last year, our theme for Grace Baptist Church was striving together. And we emphasized, tried to emphasize last year all the way through the importance of us as a church to strive together for the cause of Christ. And um, we're going to uh, be speaking on that again this morning because next week I will be sharing my heart, my vision uh, for 2022. I'm not going to tell you. You have to come back to, to hear that. Um, but <clears throat> next week uh, we'll be talking about that. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do in 2022. Uh, I, I am, and uh, I, I believe that God's going to do great things. Um, but as I as I prayed and meditated on this message, <clears throat> you, you can ask my wife. I I really struggled. Um, I'm just being honest. Um, <clears throat> I I wanted something. Uh, I I knew what I wanted, but that that's not enough. I want what God wants. D- does that make sense? And and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Have you ever felt like God never answers your prayers? And I, I kept praying and praying. I'm like, God, what, you know, talk to me here, you know. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the other day I, I, I sat down on my desk and God just clearly directed me to Galatians chapter 5 uh, for this morning's message. And, and I, I got so excited. Um, God just started giving me bits and pieces. And, and so, so this morning you get... Uh, the, the the precious message that God gave me, and I and, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe that this message God gave to me. I just I'm just sharing what God gave me. Okay, um, so if you don't like it, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Talk to God about it. There you go. <laughs> but I'll tell you, God used this in my life. In a number of ways, and and I hope he can use it in your life as well. Let's start reading Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But if, that, if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and this time together this morning around your word. And, and Lord, as I share my heart this morning, I, I, I beg you, to speak to hearts. I'm so thankful for the Word of God and the power of the Word of God in our lives. Help us, dear God, to walk with you this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are basically three ways we can live our Christian lives. The first way is a life of legalism, or what I would call religion. 
Okay, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, uh, as though living in the world, ye are subject to the ordinance, to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all uh, are to perish you, uh, with, the, with the using after the commandments of the doctrines of men. Basically, what Paul's saying here in Colossians chapter 2 is he's saying, look, the, 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 the doctrines of men, the commandments of men say, don't touch this, don't go here, don't, go, don't do this. That is called legalism. And, what, and we can live our Christian lives that way. And Paul says, don't do that. The second way we can live our lives is, is, a, is what I call a life of excess. Romans chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we uh, are, are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. And basically, again, uh, we're, we're told here that, you know what? Hey, we, we are under grace. If you're saved this morning... You can live your Christian life under grace. But we are not to do it in excess. It is not an excuse to sin. Paul says, God forbid. And then we can live a life of liberty. Look at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You only use not liberty as an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. In verse 13, Paul here is talking about Christian liberty and the fact that God gives us the ability, the choice, the choice to live our lives the way we've, we deem the way we need to. Paul says live in liberty, but don't use that liberty as an excuse to sin. Use, the, use liberty that God's given us as a tool to love one another. That's what Paul's saying. The title of my message this morning, very simply, is Striving Together with Love. Striving Together with Love. <clears throat> Look at verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul here is describing a church that I will be calling this morning a loving church. A loving church. As I, as I read <clears throat> verse 14, my, my, my mind went rushing back to John chapter 13. Uh, verses 34 and 35, it says a new commandment. Now this is Jesus talking here. Uh, in John chapter 13, it says, A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. How, how did Christ love us? Unconditionally. As I have loved you, uh, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Verse 14 describes a loving church. Verse 15 
Let's read that verse. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. I call this the cannibal church. As I kind of thought about that, I thought, you know what? Paul's given us two choices here. Grace Baptist Church is either going to be a loving church or is going to be a cannibal church. Now, if, if, any, if you have been in churches, and, and many of us have been in, in other churches, you know that there is such a thing as a cannibal church. I've seen it. The hate and the, the bitterness within a church. How sad. The answer to whether or not Grace Baptist Church is going to be a loving church or a cannibal church is found in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. So the, 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 <clears throat> the question is, <coughs> excuse me, yes, yes, I love kids, I love kids. <clears throat> the question is, how do we walk in the Spirit? Years ago, when I was first saved, I went to a, a meeting where there was a, a pastor who was talking and, and, he, and, he, and he was talking about walking in the Spirit. And he said he kept saying over and over and over, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And I, and I, I, left, the, I left that service thinking, okay, I need to walk in the Spirit. But I had a question. How? How do you walk in the Spirit? And Paul says here, he says, if, if Grace Baptist Church is going to be a church that is a loving church and not a cannibal church, then we need to walk in the Spirit. So the question then becomes, how do we do that? Well, Paul is teaching the, the, the Galatian believers that they need to live within, they need to live in Christian liberty. Christian liberty is kind of the, 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 the key to it all. Because we make choices how we're going to live. We make those choices. And we make those choices within the liberty that God's given us to make those choices. So then how do we walk in the Spirit? Look at verse 16. This I say then. The first four words in verse 16 is what, what is called a parenthetical statement. And if you're anything like me, I failed English. How many of you, how many of you off the top of your head know what a parenthetical statement is? Okay. Well, you were a teacher. That's cheating. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I had to look it up, okay? I, you know, my, my, my study guides tell me what things are, but I'm like, what is a parenthetical statement? So let me help you out, those of us that are English stupid. 
our English challenged. Okay, there, there you go. Um, a parenthetical statement interrupts the normal flow of a sentence. Am I right, Miss Teacher? Okay. The purpose of a parenthetical statement is to allow the writer to insert additional information without creating a separate sentence. Right? Okay. So basically, what Paul does by using a parenthetical statement is he changes gears, if you would, but does not change subjects. So we're still talking about Christian liberty. Does that make sense? Okay. So <clears throat> this I say then, we have the choice to walk with God because we have liberty in Christ. It's our choice. Basically, in a nutshell, what Paul's saying here is this. I've been talking about Christian liberty. But how does it work? How does it work? This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Point number one this morning, understanding how to walk. Understanding how to walk. <clears throat> interestingly here, Paul does not tell us how to walk. He just says walk, right? Just like that, that pastor I heard many, many years ago saying, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Okay, how? And on the surface, it would appear as though Paul does not tell us how to walk. But in reality, Paul does tell us how to walk. Paul uses a Greek word for the word walk. The Greek word is peripateo. Okay? And you're probably like, so? <laughs> okay? But this is an interesting word. I should, have, I should have given it to Chris to put up for you, but it's about that long uh, in the Greek. And it's, it, it is pronounced peripateo. At least I think that's how you say it. But it literally means to walk in the footsteps of someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, I got a picture here. I found this picture on the internet to kind of help you understand what this word peripateo means. This little girl is following in the footsteps of the person in front. I can't tell if it's a man or woman. I, I can't tell. But anyway, you, 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 get the, you get the point. That's this. When you see the word peripateo or, or this word walk, you need to keep this picture in mind because it doesn't mean to just randomly go for a walk. You don't randomly walk in the Spirit. What he's saying is follow in the footsteps of the Spirit. <clears throat> Another verse that will help us understand this idea of walking, or the idea of parapateo, is found in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. 
It says the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. You think, okay, what does that mean? Well, let me, let me see if I can explain it to you. The word disciple here means pupil, student, uh, <clears throat> uh, one, one that's being tutored. Okay, that's what, that's what this, the word disciple means. So the student is not above his master or teacher. Okay? But everyone that is perfect or mature shall be as his teacher. So, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, to the people of the day, this passage would make perfect sense. Because it was the custom of the day to apprentice people. If... If, if I wanted to learn a trade, I was a, a young man growing up in that era, and I wanted to become a carpenter or, or whatever. What I would do if my dad was not a carpenter, normally you follow the, the career path of your father, but if your father was, was either dead or, or wasn't what you wanted to become, you would apprentice with a master craftsman, a carpenter, silversmith, uh, leather worker, whatever. And basically what that means is that you, for all intents and purposes, volunteer to be their slave, in a sense, with little or no pay, until you learn the trade that, that, that they're teaching you. Does that make sense? So, what this is saying is the disciple is not above his master. In other words, a student can only learn as much as the teacher knows. If you want to advance on, what do you have to do? Find another teacher. But everyone that is mature shall be as his master. So when you have completed the apprenticeship, you should be able to do everything that the master can do or the teacher can do. So apprenticeship has been something that's been practiced for centuries. Aristotle was born in 384 B.C. Aristotle uh, was famous. He was an intellectual writer, you know, whatever. But his students would follow him everywhere he went. Many of them lived with him. Uh, Wherever he would go, his students would go. They would ask questions. They would listen to his lectures. They would obey his commands. They would literally follow him every single day. His students were called 
peripatites. Sound familiar to the word peripateo? They were peripatites. What were they doing? They were, they were walking in the steps of their master. And that is the word that Paul uses here in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Peripateo. The Jews understood this idea of peripateo also. When a rabbi wanted, when a young man wanted to be a rabbi, what would he do? <laughs> he would become a peripatite to a rabbi or an apprentice, if you would, to a rabbi. Let me give you an example of that. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of a guy named Elijah? How about Elisha? In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2, and it says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah to, into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah uh, uh, went with Elisha to Gilgal. I wish their names were a little bit different. It's hard to... Anyway, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So that they went down to Bethel. In Second Kings chapter 2, in verses 9 to 14, it says this, And it came to pass, when they uh, were gone over, that Elijah said to Elisha, uh, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, uh, Thou <clears throat> hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am uh, taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they went on and talked, <clears throat> that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them uh, both asunder. And Elijah uh, went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he, and he took hold of his clothes, and he rent them in pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went by, uh, excuse me, went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elijah went over, Elisha went over. See, that is basic. That is, that is the quintessential apprenticeship of a priest. Elisha went everywhere Elijah went. And he listened and he learned and he grew. And he got to the point, not only did he listen did, and he learned and he grew, 
but he started to think like Elijah. And that's the point. Why did Aristotle's uh, followers follow him? Because they wanted to to think like Aristotle. Elisha started to think like Elijah. I want to give you a New Testament example, if you would. We see this also play out in the lives of Jesus' disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, uh, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith uh, unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, how many of you know that for three years, Jesus' disciples ate with him, slept with him, traveled with him, heard him preach messages over and over and over, asked questions, and they went through all of these things for three years. They were parapetites. They were following in his steps. The word follow, when Jesus says, he saith unto them, follow me. This word follow is an interesting word. It literally means behavior. So what Jesus is saying is not just, hey, just come with me. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, follow me or behave like me. If you will behave, you will become a parapetite to me. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' disciples followed him. They, they, <clears throat> they lived with him. They were taught by him. They asked questions. They listened. They obeyed. And eventually they started to behave like him. How do we know that? I'm glad you asked. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, says, And when he had found them, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they uh, assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples, the students were first called Christians, or were called Christians first in Antioch. Why were the believers in Antioch accused of being Christians? Now, you need to understand, in in Acts chapter 11, it it was a accusation that was being made this was not in america today well it's it's kind of changing but in america it has been popular to be a christian for the most part for years that's slowly changing but in antioch in acts chapter 11 when this was being made it was a derogatory uh, phrase 
oh, you're a Christian. Why, why were they saying that? Because they had gotten to the point where they had followed Christ so long that they started to think like Jesus. And when we think like Jesus, we will walk like Jesus. Question. And this is, this is where, as I was sitting in my desk, God, God put this question in my mind, and I went, oh my. And this is, this is the question I had to answer. God spoke to my heart and said this, Rick, if you lived in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, would you be accused of being a Christian? Does your life reflect the life of Christ? And I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what to say. I hope so. I hope that my life reflects Christ. But I'll tell you what, there are days that it doesn't. So my challenge to you this morning is if you were alive in Acts chapter 11, would your life, would, 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 the, would the unsaved people in Antioch look at you and say, there goes a Christian. I can tell because he walks like Christ. Ask yourself the question. Question number two. How spiritually mature does a person need to be to be able to walk in the Spirit? Paul doesn't say. He just says walk in the Spirit. In other words, we can all do it. There's no prerequisite. Okay, you have to be saved for 20 years, or you have to be saved for five years, or you have to be able to uh, uh, quote four chapters of the Bible, or, you know, it doesn't say any of that stuff. What does Paul say? Walk in the Spirit. Be a, be a peripateo. Look at verses 15, or excuse me, 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, excuse me, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things which ye would. In other words, what Paul's saying here is you need to walk in the Spirit. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have conflict in your life, but you need to walk in the Spirit. Because your flesh, you, the, the, the thing <clears throat> that makes you sin is going to be at constant odds with the part of you that wants to walk with God. But you need to walk in the Spirit. Point number one, how, understanding how to walk. Number two, uh, understanding how to walk in the Spirit. Honestly, this can be a little confusing, uh, you know, as I've as I've talked to people through the years. <clears throat> there are two descriptions of the Spirit in in, in Scripture uh, given to us. The first one is what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
And that happens when a person gets saved. When a person accepts Jesus Christ into their heart and life, we are then indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. It says that, that we should be uh, <clears throat> to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after uh, that ye heard the words of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession uh, unto the praise of his glory. So when we are saved, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The second description given to us in Scripture about the Holy Spirit is being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is not talking about, when he, say, when he says walk in the Spirit, he's not, it's not referring to the indwelling of the Spirit. He's talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have a lot of time to go into all that, but the filling of the, of the Spirit is a choice that we make. Going back to the Christian liberty that we're given, we choose to be filled with the Spirit. We choose to allow the Spirit of God to guide us in our daily decisions. We choose to let the Spirit of God influence the way we talk, the way we, we do everything. Those are choices that we make. Again, going back to the Christian liberty. Morris Gleiser uh, said this, um, the spirit-filled life is God getting more of you, not you getting more of him. It is our choice to allow the Spirit of God to influence us more and more and more. <clears throat> we have all of God that we need when we're saved. We just need to learn to allow him to control us more. Galatians chapter 5, Paul is emphasizing that since God is now our Father and we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, it only makes sense that we would want to behave like him. That's what Paul's saying in a nutshell. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to, 9, uh, 18 to 20. It says, Be not drunk with wine or with excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts unto the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Ephesians chapter 5, we're told to be filled. Matthew chapter 4, we are, we are told to behave like. And Galatians chapter 5, we are told to walk like or peripateo, or to become peripatites, to walk in the steps of. So let's bring this all together. <clears throat> because that's what you're here for, right? <laughs> it's been kind of an interesting message. And I told you, this, this is something that God gave me. And this is more of a, 
more of a teaching kind of a, a, a message this morning. I, I hope I hope I haven't lost you in it all because it can become sometimes a little overwhelming. What does Paul mean when he says walk in the Spirit? Very simply, I want to go back to the Greek word peripateo, to walk in the Spirit. I showed you that picture at the beginning of the little girl trying to walk in the steps of the person in front of them. There you go, Chris. Thank you. That's how we walk in the Spirit. We choose. We choose because of Christian liberty. We choose whether we are going to walk in the Spirit or we're going to walk in the flesh. That's a choice we make. Luke chapter 6, verse 40 again. Let me read it to you. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect or, or, or has completed their studies shall be as his master. The simple truth is this. If you're sitting here this morning and, you, and you're thinking this, you know, Pastor, I need to be more like Jesus. I need to become a peripatite. I need to walk in the steps of the Spirit of God. My question is this. How much time do you spend in the book? In order to be an apprentice. You have to learn every aspect of the of the of the craft that you're trying to learn. More than likely if if a young man went into a uh, let's just say a silversmith and said, you know what, I want to become a silversmith, what do you think the very first thing the the, the master craftsman is going to do? Oh, hand him a wad of silver and say, here you go. No, he's going to hand him a broom and say, here, here you go. And what's he going to have to do? He's going to, he's going to have to start by, by doing the simple things. How do we walk with the Spirit? We start by doing the simple things, spending time in the Word of God, spending time praying and getting to know God, getting to know Him inside and out. That's how we walk in those steps. It's not complicated. This is not rocket science. But you have to remember what he says in verse 17. There's going to be struggles along the way. Your flesh is going to argue with your spirit and and it's going to talk you out of reading your Bible and you just need to have the character say, you know what, I'm just going to knuckle down. I'm going to do it. It's not about a, a keeping a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about religious exercises. David was a man who, who is a good example of somebody who, who was a parapetite to God. David followed God. He was in the New Testament. He, he's, he's called a man after God's own heart. 
How did David do it? Let me read you the Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. And hopefully you'll see how David did it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The key to David's quote-unquote success in his walk with God is that word right there, leadeth. He allowed God the opportunity to lead him. And as God led him, David walked in his footsteps. That's all it is. And too often we we get an idea that walking with God is some complex formula that we need. Well, I have to read this book and I need to read this book in order to get to know this book. No, no. All you need is this book. Now, books written by men and women are, are, are good. I, I, read, I read books all the time. But don't forsake this book for those books. Get into this book first. Know this book. And allow God to direct your path. How do we walk with God? Really, really, really overly simple here. One step at a time. How did that little girl follow the person in front of the mom or dad, whoever that, I don't know who was. But how did that little girl, she just did it one step at a time. And way too often, we stand and we look and we think, that's an impossible task. One of the songs that my wife teaches down in the junior churches, I don't know the name of the song, but I know a phrase within the song that says, it, it talks about a, a child wanting to climb a set of stairs. And, and, and the, the phrase in the song says, step by step is how you get up a stairway. And that's how we walk with God, just one step at a time. We can stand at the bottom of foot, at the stairway and think, that is impossible. But if we take it one step at a time, it can be accomplished. Now, let's kind of tie it all together. How does Grace Baptist Church become a loving church and not a cannibal church? By walking with God. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, the other day, <clears throat> I won't tell you where I was because it's not important, but I was, <clears throat> I was somewhere and uh, the guy that I was talking to asked me, he says, he says, hey, do you have a New Year's resolution? This was, this was like two days before uh, New Year's. And, and my response is, no, nah, I don't do that. I don't. I, I think they're ridiculous. Because <clears throat> almost 80% of people that make New Year's resolutions do not keep them within two weeks. If you don't believe me, Buy a gym 
you know, a, a gym. And and you're, you know, from Christmas to the first of the January, your your enrollment skyrockets for about two weeks. And then it, attendance just drastically drops. Those of you that go to the gym know, most people that I know that go to the gym, the first two weeks in January, they don't go. Why? Because everybody's there. And then after two weeks, they can go back and it's, you know, back to the same people again. So anyway, I told him, I said, I don't, I don't do New Year's resolutions. And he says, oh, okay. He says, oh, well, I, did, I made one this year. And I said, really, what is it? <laughs> and I'm going to get back in the gym. That's what he said. <laughs> and I said, oh, man. He said, why? I said, well, I was hoping you'd say I was going to get back in church. <clears throat> and, he's, and he just kind of went, yeah, that, that too. <clears throat> I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I do make commitments to God. And I want to challenge us this morning to make a commitment to God. Let's us, Grace Baptist Church, commit to becoming, and I believe we're there. If we're not there, we're really close. Let's Grace Baptist Church commit to being a loving church and not a cannibal church. It would require each of us to choose to become a parapetite and follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us, that you would challenge our thinking, that you would... Help us to realize the importance of becoming a parapetite so that we not only will follow you, but we will start to think like you. That we would start to behave like you. As you challenge the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Help us, dear God, to take that challenge. Help us, dear God, to be committed to making Grace Baptist Church a loving church. We're so thankful and grateful for your love, for the work you do in our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed,